That song gets you kind of like, I saw, I could see Rachel. She's just kind of moving to the music. All righty. Here we are together again, scattered all throughout the auditorium. I'm just going to push for that building just to get us to sit together. What do you think? We literally had to move facilities for us to like each other. Is that what we're going to do? Maybe. We'll see. Okay, so uh, my understanding is that uh, Mike Glenn did a fantastic job a while ago teaching kind of the beginning of our Faith Principle series. Is that correct? Let's give it up for Mr. Mike. There he is. Um, so what we're going to do is we're going to continue on. Edgar called me and said, hey, can we continue on? So we're going to do that. How's that sound? And um, I'm not sure if there are a lot of people visiting with us today, so we can just kind of keep it with the family. How does that sound? Can we do that? Now, you're going to get two sheets of paper today. The first one is something that says page three on one side and page four on the other. Do you have that? Double-sided? Okay. Now, you might have also one that's single-sided. All right. So, that's what we're doing. Now, I am going to train you on how we teach these things. All right. So that, but also, uh, hopefully you'll convict us and call us higher, inspire us, whatever you want, whatever floats that boat. Let's, let's do that as well. How about that? Okay, so let me tell you one thing. When we're looking at the faith principles, and we're saying, okay, how does that differ from first principles? How does that differ from 20 years ago, 15 years ago, 10 years ago? And a lot of times we, we kind of wrestle with things. And our brains can kind of get stuck and ingrained in our history. Do you get that? And so I want to just kind of tell you briefly, there are three ways that this study series differs and three ways that we have to kind of learn to master the material, okay? So write this out because it's not in your notes, and it's very, very important because if you could just focus on these three things, and two of them I'll talk about today, and one of them will be another time, and, and that's basically it, just three ways, okay? Number one, which I will have, um, well, number one, let me just keep it simple. Number one, we use faith to help people evaluate their salvation. All right, does that make sense? We use what? Faith to help people what? Evaluate their salvation. Write it down. That's the first way. Now, number two, okay, number two. We motivate differently. Okay? Number two, we motivate differently. And that's the study we'll do today as well. All right? Number three, we talk about sin differently. We talk about sin differently. We don't change what sin is, but we talk about sin differently. Okay, we're going to go with number three real quickly. That's going to be a whole study that we'll do later. Okay, but turn to Isaiah 48. Invariably or oftentimes, when I'm talking to people that are connected or rooted in our history and have not experienced a one faith approach or a, just a different approach in general, it doesn't have to be our one faith approach. It could be something else. When I ask them, who does sin hurt? 
Oftentimes people say whom? God. Have you ever heard that? Has someone ever told you, bro, your sin is hurting God? You're hurting God, you're hurting God. And then what does that make you feel? Shame. Makes you feel like God's just looking down at you with folded arms and a big frown. Isaiah 48, verse 17. This is what the Lord says. Your Redeemer, the Holy One of Israel, I am the Lord your God who teaches you what makes me happy. He teaches you what is best for whom? You. Who teaches you what's best and who directs you in the way you should go. Sin is called sin because it hurts you. And we'll talk about that more in depth, but what we teach people is this. Hey, sin is sin because it hurts you. And we've got to understand how God, he, you go, well, can't, don't we grieve God? Yeah, he feels sad for you. He's sad when you're sinning because guess who you're hurting? Yourself. As parents, when you're in the high-functional parenting zone, when your kids mess up, you don't go, you've disgraced me. You have embarrassed me. You have hurt me. We don't make it about us. We're concerned about whom? Them. And we want them to focus on what's best for whom? Them. Do you get that? So we will talk about that more in depth as we're covering sin and we're talking about God's view of sin. You'll see sin hurts whom? Us. And oftentimes others, but God cares for us as his kids. Got that? We're going to do one and two today, but you know, you practically did three already. But we'll show you in the studies how we really help people understand God's heart about our sin. All right? Let's go to... Um, <laughs> Let's go to James chapter 2. I'll do a little review. So, um, a little review. James chapter 2. Now, as you're turning to James chapter 2, let me explain something to you. So, the first two ways, we use faith to help people evaluate their salvation. And two, we're going to talk about how we motivate differently. Those are the two things we're going to talk about today. Sound good? Now, I didn't say we use faith to tell people they're lost. Did you guys catch that? I said we use faith to help people evaluate their salvation. That's really important for us to understand. I talked to a brother in the church uh, yesterday, and uh, well, he's not technically been a member in our church, but he was going, well, I'm going to go to these other churches and whatnot. I was just helping him evaluate his decision. All right? That's all we can do. I cannot tell someone whether they're going to hell or not. Why not? Because I'm not God. And I can tell them two things. Okay? I could tell them what I think and believe from the scriptures. I could tell them how I would feel about me if I was making their decision. That's all I do. I said, from my perspective, this is what the Bible says to me. And I have a role to tell you what the Bible says to me. My job is to be honest with you. But the other thing is this. Given what I'm hearing from you, if I were making your decision, I would not feel saved. 
It's the best I could do. You going to tell me I'm going to hell? No, that's in God's hands and yours. It's not even just in God's hands. It's in yours. But for me, this is how I would feel. This is what I would think. This is what my convictions are. Do you guys get that picture? So we didn't say this is how you tell someone that they're going to hell or heaven because that's in God's hands. But we got to help people evaluate their salvation. We're looking for people who look at the scriptures and reflect on themselves and go, you know what? I don't think my mindset, my understanding, my lifestyle matches what the Bible says. Do you guys get that? So, and then that's, who, that's who's what we consider someone who's open or who wants to move forward, and we move forward with them. And that's great. But what if they don't? Guess what? You pleased God by being honest and sharing scriptures. Okay, so in God's mind and heart, great job. Oh my gosh, they're going to go to hell. They're going to do this. Who knows? Just today, they're not that interested. That's it. That's today. You know what, tomorrow, there are so many people. I want to tell you about the Maui church that we planted. We planted the Maui Christian church. We had this event. We had 10 guests the two people that brought the 10 guests, you know, I mean, it was a nice time. It was a uh, karaoke night. I was going to, because I was thinking Hawaii, I was going to say it in the Hawaiian way, but no, it was a karaoke night, not karaoke, but karaoke, right, Dale? Yay. Um, and guess what? The whole year, everyone who attended that event became disciples. But it took the whole year. And the two people that brought all those people were the last ones. Isn't that crazy? You just never know. You never know. So our obligation is to help someone evaluate. Our obligation is not to turn the screws if they disagree, because that'll make them hate you. (laughs) And their hatred will cloud out their honest ability to evaluate. Is that clear? So we use faith. Why faith? Because discipleship does not help people evaluate their salvation. It actually feeds a notion of false doctrine, just so you understand that. But here's the thing. Are you a disciple? Are you doing all these things? Da-da-da-da-da. It makes people think a, a checklist, a bunch of action items, determines their salvation. And we don't look at it that way. All right? Is that clear? We go, do you have the right understanding of what a saving faith is? Because the Bible says, how many faiths are there? There's only one faith. And do you know what that one faith is? So that's kind of how we start off. I just want to give you, set the stage. I'm not going to reteach Mike's lesson because I am 100% sure because I respect Mike. I know how he did. I know he did a great job. But I'm just trying to give you that stage of how we talk to people. Okay, is that clear? So I was talking to this um, former member, actually, so, you know, and he could be a brother, could not be a brother. It's great, great guy, um, good friend of mine. Um, so I was talking to this brother. Emotionally, he's my brother. Um, and he says, well, I'm thinking of going to this other church because, you know, they really tell us we need to do what's right and all that. And I said, but the doctrine, you've got to look at the doctrine. And so I need you guys to hear this. This is going to be very theological for a minute, all right? Because I think even in our fellowship, we've gotten confused. There's a line, there is a line between what we teach and what other denominations teach. 
And then even on our side of the line, there's a lot of gray. So I'm going to talk to you about that. Okay, is that clear? But there is a line when it comes to how we look at faith. And I want you to understand that because on one side of the line, people can be really radical, and so it'll look and feel like what we've kind of taught on our side of the line. But there's still a line. Okay? And that line is what does action mean? Write it down. What's the line? What does action mean? And we'll go to James chapter 2. James chapter 2, verse 14. So did you write that down? What's our line? What does action mean? Okay, that's the thing. James chapter 2 and verse 14. What good is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have faith but has no deeds? Can such faith save them? Suppose a brother or sister is without clothes and daily food. If one of you says to them, go in peace, keep warm and well fed, but does nothing about their physical needs, what good is it? In the same way, faith by itself, if it is not accompanied by action, is what? Dead. What? Dead. But someone will say, you have faith, I have deeds. Show me your faith without deeds, and I will show you my faith by my deeds. You believe that there is one God. Good. Even the demons believe that and shudder. Ooh, you foolish person. Do you want evidence that faith without deeds is useless? Was not our father Abraham considered righteous for what he did when he offered his son Isaac on the altar? You see that his faith and his actions were working how? Together. And his faith was made complete by what he did. And the scripture was fulfilled um, that says, Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. And he was called God's friend. You see that a person is considered righteous by what they do and not by faith alone. In the same way, was not even Rahab the prostitute considered righteous for what she did when she gave lodging to the spies and sent them off in a different direction. As the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without deeds is dead. What does action mean? Okay, so in what we call belief-based churches, they'll go, hey, action is a show. Action is an expression of faith. And they look at maybe verse 18, but someone will say, you have faith, I have deeds. Show me your faith without deeds, and I will show you my faith by my deeds. So that, that's not Paul saying the show is a sign of your salvation. If you are saved, yes, it will show. Okay? But... The whole idea is, is action an expression or is action a completion? I need you to write that down and make sure you understand. This is how we help people. If you can, with skill, with kindness, with respect, help people to understand this difference, it opens up their heart to explore. So there's action that's a show or an expression. We don't teach that. But that's what belief-based teach people do. They go, hey, if you really believe you're going to do, and because you're not doing it, you must not really what? Believe. And so you'll have churches, and they look and feel just as strong as ours sometimes because we've gotten kind of a little weak. And so it confuses our members and the person saying, yes, you must do things because if you don't, it shows you didn't really believe. But you're saved when you really believe. 
But if you really believe, you're going to do. Because action is what? An expression. We don't teach that. The brother I was talking to, he said, well, isn't it both? On our side of the line, it is both. But on your side of the line, it can't be both. We believe action is a completion of faith. When you repent, when you confess Jesus Lord, and you get baptized, guess what that does? That completes out your saving faith. Do you guys get that? And if action completes your faith, it will show. So on our side, yes, it's completion, and there's going to be an expression. Those two go hand in hand. But on the other side, no. You can complete your faith by just really believing and feeling it, and actions are kind of optional. Now, if it's really sincere, you'll have the actions. That's kind of how they, it's a circular argument. But that's the line we're drawing, and that helps people evaluate their salvation. Do you believe action is a completion, or do you believe it's an expression? Does that help you guys? And so, when, you know, in, in what Mike taught, that's kind of one of the essences of, one of, the, yeah, of, of that lesson, is that that's where the line is. What's the role of action? What does action mean? Okay, let's go on. Let's go to page 3, go to Mark chapter 12. Now, I'll be honest with you, each side, each, each uh, column in the, in the series should go about five to seven minutes. And so I'm going to go really fast, because it should go fast. You go, really? Why so fast? Because people got to do their homework. We pass out these books, we give out the handouts and whatnot. Okay, go through it quickly and have them read them on their own. I'm studying the Bible with a guy, and he doesn't get with me that often. You go, what? I gave him the book, he reads it, and we discuss what he read. Isn't that crazy? So we, can, we don't have to like, oh, nitty-gritty. You know, what you do is you, you overview it, just kind of go through it, read scriptures. You don't have to read every one. You can reference it, but read, read scriptures because it's Bible study, right? Have them read the notes, get back to you, and tell, the, tell you what they learned. Okay, so I'm just saying, think a little bit out of the box. Help people just learn the scriptures, but they will only learn if they study it on their own. All right, Mark chapter 12, verse 28. Can I get an amen on that one? Okay, Mark chapter 12, verse 28. One of the teachers of the law came and heard them debating, noticing that Jesus had given them a good answer. He asked him, of all the commandments, which is the most important? The, the most important one answer, Jesus, is this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love your Lord, love the Lord with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind, with all your strength. The second is this. Love your neighbor as yourself. There is no commandment greater than these. You know, it's funny because, see, the way we describe faith, it's like we're talking about being faithful. That's actually the dictionary, Wikipedia, you look at it. Faith in the Bible isn't just faith, it's actually faithfulness. And when you think of faithful, who in your life, married people, do you want to be faithful to you for the rest of your life? Your spouse. Because faithfulness means what? Ding, love. Okay, so I want us to understand, faithfulness and love are connected. You guys get that? It's just something that's common sense. What kind of church are we? Common sense Christianity, right? And faithfulness and love, they're just connected. So we live our faith, and our faith is completed by action. A saving faith and love are connected. In fact, the word faith in the Greek is pistis. Pistis is a noun-verb hybrid. You've heard me say this before. I'm going to review it. It's just in the notes, right? Action is part 
of the meaning of pistis. We have to understand that. And more accurately, pistis is, is translated as commitment, faithfulness, loyalty. So when you see the word faith in the Bible, our brain is pre-trained because we were raised up in America to just think faith is a belief. Faith is a hope. But back then, in New Testament times, faith was a lifestyle. It's really faithfulness. And that's something people need to understand. And, and we've got to think of it. We think of faithfulness as essential to real love. And we do not just have faith in Jesus because that's false teaching. We have to be faithful to Jesus. And that's something that we're trying to help people understand. When you see the word faith, you've got to feel and understand the, understand the notion of faithfulness. Now, let's use common sense. God is love, so the love and faithfulness we want in relationships are the same as what God wants. That's kind of how we look at things. Give God the love you want. I'm trying to teach you these things so we can help each other. You go, well, what kind of love should I give God? The kind of love you'd want. Don't you want someone to talk to you? Yes. Don't you want someone to listen to you? Yes. Does that make sense? Do that with God. And so the same elements that God describes as the love he wants, is all, they're also parallel to the elements of faith. You see, soul is our psyche. but It says, love the Lord your God with your whole self, which is your soul. But it says your mind, your heart, and your strength. Do you get that? And so with loving God, we've got to put our minds into it, our hearts into it, and our strength. It's the same thing with faith. A real saving faith has to employ your mind, your heart, and your strength working together. Let's go to Romans chapter 10. And we call that combination of mind, heart, strength, working together, hearing the word for your mind, believing the word in your heart, and obeying the word with your strength. Okay, let's go to Romans chapter 10. Now, why did I review Mike's lesson with this one? Typically, ideally, when you're sitting down with someone, you want to do what Mike did and do this lesson together. Remember, each page, each side of a page is about five to seven minutes. And so if you, um, you know, you, you can do all of it in about 40 minutes, 30, 40 minutes if you do both pages, okay? And um, the goal for you guys is to get more confident in doing this quickly. You go, why do it quickly? I'll tell you this. People have to do their homework. And our job is this, to impart knowledge as quickly as possible, but that doesn't mean they're ready. Just because they have the knowledge doesn't mean their heart and their strength are in line. So, you know, take your time, you know. But if I give people knowledge quickly, guess where the ball gets put in? Whose court does the ball get put in? Theirs. If I'm withholding knowledge, then who's liable? Me. And so what I do is I give people knowledge quickly so they can be empowered to make their choices. Is that clear? So, you know, well, we want to be thorough. It's, you're thorough afterwards, not after they get baptized, but after they have the knowledge. Then you go, okay, teach me what you've learned. How has this affected your life? Tell me the point, main points of the last lesson. Okay, in the booklet, you'll see on the last page, there's, there are quiz questions. 
After I complete a study, every study, by the time they finish, they have to answer every one of those quiz questions. So, you know, I'll quiz them after every study on what they just covered and what they cover. It's cumulative. I make them cover all the points. And so next time, I'll teach you how I do the quiz. We won't do that today. But please, next time we get together, let's bring our booklets, okay? Because then I'll show you the quiz. Can I get an amen on that one? All right, great. Romans chapter 10, verse 17. The Bible says, consequently, faith comes from hearing the message, and the message is heard through the word about Christ. Point number one, we've got to hear. Okay, Our minds need to hear the message and know the word of God correctly. And so you've got to ask them, if you don't know much about the scriptures, it's really hard to go, wow, I have a saving faith. You don't need to know everything about the scriptures, but there's got to be some understanding of the scriptures. Is that clear? And so they've got to hear the word. It's got to register with their mind. They have to agree that this is true and this is right. Um, let's go to verse 8 and 9, chapter 10. That's why the Bible says, watch your life and doctrine closely, persevere in them, because if you do, you save both yourself and your hearers. If the person is religious, or if the person really has like a strong, oh, I'm saved no matter what, go to 1 Timothy chapter 4, okay, verse 16, and it just says, hey, remember this, we covered it in the last study. You've got to watch your life and your doctrine closely so that you can be saved. Romans chapter 10, verse 8, it says, But what does it say? The word is near you. It is in your mouth and in your heart. That is the message concerning what? Faith that we proclaim. If you declare with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. This is what God's saying faith looks like. This is the message of faith. Well, what is it? You've got to believe in your hearts. So what do you got to do? You've got to believe in the power, it says, of the resurrection. Your heart needs to be in tune with that. It doesn't say you got to believe in your heart that Jesus died for your sins. Isn't that interesting? And we're going to talk about this when we're talking about motivating people because the resurrection needs to resonate with people and really, really motivate them. He says you need to believe in your heart that Jesus raised. That's what's got to move your heart. We go, no, no, I, you know, in commute, everything, we talk about, oh, Jesus died, Jesus died, Jesus died. He goes, no. A saving faith is that Jesus raised. So you ask them the basic questions. Do you believe Jesus, the Son of God, God you know, died for our sins and was raised again? They'll say yes or no. Do you believe the gospel and, and God's grace are about both Jesus dying for our sins and his resurrection? Do you see how we emphasize that? Do you want to live by Jesus' resurrection power? That's a good question, isn't it? Do you believe in God's promises and commands? Do you believe the Bible is the only word of God? If they go, I'm not sure, you can show these other scriptures. The word builds faith and reveals our hearts. Do you believe that? They go, I'm not sure. Romans 10, 17 says, hey, faith comes from hearing the message. So lot of times we use the Bible to convict. We don't use the Bible to build faith. The actual purpose of the Bible, one of them, is to give us faith. Do you believe the Bible was written to reveal our hearts? Are you willing to be taught and convicted by the word? Ask these people, where's their heart at? Sound good? But you believe in your heart. Verse 9, you've got to confess with your mouth, Jesus is who? Lord. When, and tell them what lordship means. When someone's lord, they're in charge. That means you do what they say. And so to create a nice, neat acronym, we say obey. You've got to confess Jesus is Lord. Now, confessing Jesus is Lord is not enough. We're going to learn later on, you've got to really make him Lord. But he even says in verse 10, it's with our mouths we confess. 
action, obedience is necessary because it completes our faith. And you just got to ask him this question. Can you have a saving faith if you're not obeying the word? From the Bible, the answer is no. So how do we hear? How do we believe? How do we obey? How does that work together? A saving faith is not just one element. It's all of them working together. You go, how does that work? Well, we hear, we believe, we obey, and they work together. First off, in verse 9, when you confess Jesus is Lord. Let's go to Acts chapter 2, verse 36. Do you see how fast I'm going? You can go this fast. Maybe not this fast, but, you know, you can go pretty fast. And in just two studies, you could tell everyone God's plan of salvation as we know it. And you go, why that quick? One, I don't want to hide the ball. Two, it puts the ball where? In their court. And that's it. What if they don't agree? Then they don't agree. And you're loving. You know what? What do you do when someone doesn't agree with you, Dave? This is what I do. I love them and respect them as Jesus would. Jesus loves us and respects us enough to let us make our own choices, whether they're bad or good. So I can say, I'm gonna, I, I'll respect you like Jesus would. That doesn't mean I agree with you. That doesn't mean if I, you know, it resonates with me as true what you're doing. But, you know, God lets us have the consequences and the freedom of choice. And I definitely want to make sure that you feel like I support that as well. I don't, you don't have to support a decision, but you can support people's right to make a choice. Do you get that? So just, I don't stress. Well, what if they don't become Christians? That's their choice. Brother came to me, he was distraught about his son. Da, 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 my son this, my son that. I go, you know what, bro? You're well, maybe it's my fault because I did this and I did that. I say, listen, your child gets to a certain point where he's going to be held accountable to his choice. You may not have been the right perfect parent. No one is. There's a point where God says, you are responsible for your choices. It doesn't matter how you were raised. So we've got to respect people in the same way that God respects us. Acts chapter 2, verse 36. That's why it's taking a little longer. I'm giving you these little side bits of editorial. Is that okay? Acts chapter 2, verse 36. Therefore, let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and, and Messiah. When the people heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the other apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? Peter replied, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. You know, it's just basically simple. What, how does hearing, believing, and obeying work together? Well, we confess Jesus is Lord. That's what we'll study next. What else does it do? What else, how does it work together? Hearing, believing, and obeying work together in repentance and baptism. That spells crab. So we try to teach people right away. Here's an acronym because you've got to know your scriptures. You need to know what the Bible teaches. And so I'm going to quiz you next time to make sure you understand what are the elements of a saving faith. What are they? Hear. What's the B? Believe. What's the O? Obey, yes. And so how do hearing, believing, and obeying get you saved by faith? By C, confessing Jesus is Lord, repenting, and being baptized. You see? Okay, great. Can you repeat that back to me? What's the saving faith? What are the three elements? Hear. Okay. And so how do they work together to get saved? You see what? You confess what? Jesus is Lord. You what else? And 
Get that? Look at that. You can, and you just do that. You know, I don't want them to feel stupid. Just go, you know what? I don't want you to feel stupid. So you got to tell them. But, you know, what we do is we quiz people. Because knowing the Bible is crucial to salvation. You guys get that? Feel good about that? Boom. All right. Well, what else do you do? Look at, turn the page. Turn the page. These two, these two, sometimes I don't even go over the, the, these two. You go, what? I'm telling you guys, use your judgment. God gave you a brain. All right? What, what's the, the points of these two studies are very, very simple. Number one, the feed your faith, read your Bible every day. That's the point of that. Now, there are some good points in here, like John 8, 31 through 34. You want to highlight, hey, sin enslaves you, because we're going to talk about that later. Because who does sin hurt? Us. And it hurts us by enslaving us. So it's a good point to cover, but you just do that passage, and you just go Matthew 4, 4. Man does not live on bread alone, but every word that comes from the mouth of God. So read your Bible every day. I said, you've got to feed your faith. That's all I tell people. And that's it. Sound good? Next study, faith of the few. Why do you do this? This study is to protect against persecution and to also give people eager to um, really study the Bible. So this is not necessary unless people, you know, you might need them protected. Maybe they come from a religious background or maybe um, you want them a little more urgent. And basically this passage just, this passage says, hey, guess what? Faith, the, it takes every effort to enter the kingdom of heaven, and the gate is narrow. And so make sure you seek God with all your heart. That's it. That's all that says. You can say it to them, show them one scripture, you're done. Sound good? Let's go to the next page, because this is motivation. I'm at 33 minutes. What we're going to do now is this next page we'll cover next time. How does that sound? Okay? You guys feel good about that? Okay, but let me just tell you what the next page is about. It's about motivation. Okay, and I'll preach about it a little bit more, but really is about what we understand, the bulk of what is considered Christianity today, either in our movement, outside of our movement, whatever, motivates by what I call guilty gratitude. You're a helpless, hopeless dirtbag, God rescued you, so you should be grateful. And everything you need to do is go, man, I'm grateful for the first responder, Jesus, who rescued me. Okay? That's literally it, even in our movement. Now, what we add in our movement is just a bit of nasty. You dirtbag, how dare you? How dare you, dare you, dare you defile the love of Jesus that has been given to you? You are so horrible for doing that. That's what we added in our church. Yay! Okay, so we're going to talk about now, should we have guilty gratitude? Absolutely. We are guilty. Jesus is our first responder, and he did rescue us. That's not saying it's wrong. But I am saying it's more. Do you get that? And we've got to kind of open up our minds and hearts to the more. Okay, and that's the thing that we've got to teach. So when I'm saying it, don't think I'm mocking our history. Our history saved all of us. 
But I am saying we have to expand so we can get more accurate to the Spirit of Christ. Because, remember, it's not just Jesus dying on our, for our sins. That's the gospel. It's his what? Resurrection. And we need to motivate people with the resurrection. That's literally what they used to do in the first century.